Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and welcome to the sixth episode of Radio Maine. Uh, we are broadcasting from our studio on Little John Island. I happen to have a lovely painting behind me that is of Little John Island, and I also happen to have with me Andrew Faulkner, who is a Portland art gallery and many other art gallery represented artists um, who painted this Little John Island right behind me. Thank you for coming on and having this conversation with me, Andrew. Thanks for having me. This is this is uh, fun for me, as as I was just sa- saying to you earlier, how much I love Portland. So I'm, and I'm have a plan to come this summer. But um, yeah, I, it's exciting to be part of Radio Maine. You are currently located not in Maine, however. No, <laughs> about as far as you can get from Maine. I'm in. Uh, my art studio is in Sausalito, California, and I live about 10 minutes north of my studio in Mill Valley. So I've been, I'm a transplant from the East Coast, but I'm, I consider myself pretty much 100% Californian because I've been here since 1988. So I'm, I, all, uh, I, I, all of my East Coast DNA is, is starting to fade. I'm a big fan of your neck of the your current neck of the woods. I had d- done my acupuncture training actually out in the San Francisco area. So, in addition to doing that, when I was just starting out in family medicine, doing acupuncture training, I also have had multiple family members who have lived out in your neck of the woods. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous part of the country. Yeah, Marin County is has uh, I, I want to say like. 75% open space protected land, you know, where we are. So there's so many trails and so much beautiful nature. Um, but at the same time, we're right next to a world-class city of San Francisco, which behind me inspired one of these cityscapes behind me. But um, so I, I get inspiration from cityscapes and uh, countryscapes and woodsy areas like Maine, and um, which is not that dissimilar to Lake Tahoe, which is just north of us, too. But yeah, it's great uh, just living around nature. One of my favorite things about that area was going to um, the, the Muir Woods and seeing the enormous trees, which we do not have here. Our trees are not nearly as big as the trees on the West Coast. They, they really are startling when you're up close to them and, you know, they're, the trunks are like the the size of a pickup truck or something. And, um, but they're, they, everyone says, you know, the cliche that they're majestic, but there's really not a, a better word that I can think of, of these, these huge columns. And, and the, the red of the bark is just very saturated red, brown red and gorgeous. One of the things that and we have redwoods in Mill Valley, in Val, Mill Valley too. And, one of the things that I remember reading about you was that you had a former career and then you chose to take on the your actual real career, which is the career that you have now. Yeah, I kind of poke, poking fun at that when when I uh, describe to people about uh, having a, a 30 year successful career in graphic design and then I decide to get a real job and become an artist and so it's funny to me because that is kind of you know there's the cliche of the starving artist and then and then the thought that painting is not a real job and um 
but the more you get into it and the more you take it seriously, you realize it is, it is a real job. And, um, and, uh, I was doing it sort of as a part-time job during, during, you know, when I had my own design studio and, um, it feels very different now that I have closed my design shop and I go into my studio every day as my, my workplace. And it's, it's just a great gift to be able to do this, but there is a fair amount of work just keeping up with it too. So tell me what your process looks like. I know that when I wake up in the morning, um, most days I am, I know I'm going to just get in my car, drive to my office, see patients, um, work with colleagues. Uh, you probably have a very different type of structure to the life that you lead. I do. Um, I am, I'm actually in my home office now where I take care of paperwork or, um, correspondent with galleries and such. And I try to get that out of the way by say 10 o'clock so I can go straight to the studio. And so I, uh, get, uh, you know, it's 10 minutes or less, uh, to my studio and I'm there and I have a, a large, uh, studio with four big windows. And, um, it's just I'm in a building with, uh, over 50 other artists we're all practicing during COVID. So there is a community there. It's all been very COVID safe. We all have our own studio space. So we haven't had to worry about interacting so much with people. And then the hallways are large, so you can do social distancing. So having that um, during the pandemic has been kind of a lifesaver. And so uh, back to my process. So I have, generally I work on three to four pieces at one time. And I do um, art prints too. I don't know if you knew that, but I, I do prints and sometimes those, many times those smaller prints get used as sketches for larger work. So, you know, my paintings can get as big as 10 feet wide. So uh, get working from a print to a painting, it sort of becomes a different thing, but, but I'm really all about using color to define space. And so it's experimentation after experimentation to get that kind of richness uh, to, to happen. And also a part of my process, it, it, I was just going to say part of my process is using my phone as a kind of a sketchbook camera because I, we talked about being around so much open space. And so I'm always snapping pictures and then I have those uh, as you know, sometimes I'll print out the picture, put it up on the wall and that'll become the beginning of a painting. You and I were talking before, um, we started talking on air about the, um, mug that I have in my hand with the bee on it. And it seems as though you allow yourself to have the freedom to not only use different, um, sorts of subjects, to focus on, like the rooftops of San Francisco or the trees of Little John Island. Um, but you also apply it in different ways, like mugs used for coffee, for example. Right. Well, I was so excited to be asked to do this project. So there's this uh, great sort of uh, boutique housewares uh, store in San Francisco. They actually have think five of them around the country called Hudson Grace. And they just sell 
just beautiful, very sort of curated houseware. And sometimes they have things made custom. And so they um, had been selling some of my art through their store and they asked if I would be interested in doing a series of plates. And um, I just almost died because I, you know, I've spent some time in Italy. I love hand painted plates from Italy or Portugal. And um, so they weren't asking for anything like that, but just to have something applied to something that you use was exciting to me. And they had some concepts of what they wanted. They wanted a, a, a fleur-de-lis and a, a bumblebee. And so the, um, I was able to come up with some ideas and they loved them. And so we, we sort of went with it. And, um, and then, you know, to, and so they're on plates and on mugs uh, for now anyway. And, um, and so that's been, it's been fun. There must be some interesting um, accommodations that you have to make being an artist who's currently located in California, but working with galleries across the country, including the Portland Art Gallery right here in Maine. Well, there's there's the, you know, sending work is uh, expensive and takes time. Um, and uh, it's, it's very interesting to me how you can really sort of get to know a gallery, even if they're f far away from you and they take an interest in, in you. And I feel that way with the Portland gallery. First of all, I've, um, as the, the true story goes, I, I've been sort of stalking the Portland gallery for a while. Um, and I, I just love going in there. And so in their little guest book, I write, you know, hi, it's Andrew again follow me, you know? And so they started following me on Instagram and, um, and then, um, over time, uh, they started liking some of my work and, and then they, they reached out and said, would you be interested in just doing sort of a test run and sell, you know, selling a few pieces through us and we'll see how it goes. And it was very, uh, open-ended and kind of easygoing. And so, um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, then they were asking for more and then they offered me this show that's up now for April. And so it's, it's going really well. So I think that, um, you know, there's a time difference and there's kind of logistical things. Um, but I think it's been easier than I imagined to work with a gallery so far away. You have a very large piece currently hanging at the gallery, which uh, I've been told that I should ask you about. I believe it's called Outlier. Outlier, yes. So this is a, a diptych, meaning that it's two large canvases put together. So it's uh, six feet tall by 10 feet wide as it's the two pieces together. And this is a very blue boat scene that's, um, you know, like many of my works, it's somewhat abstracted. And the, the use of colors, what I call an invented color space and um, and outlier is a scene from Bellinas, Cal California. And um, the title is really, you know, if you look at the painting, it's mostly uh, the blue water. And then there's these collection of boats in the left corner and there's sun on one of the boat. And it's, I think of that as the outlier and thinking that even though you're small and you're off in the distance, the sun will 
shine on you someday. And I just think that's kind of very optimistic thought. So that's, that's where the concept of that piece came. And then, you know, again, I just, like I said, for my process, I, with color, I just put layer upon layer and then it starts to, to gel in a way that I, it makes sense to me. And people, one of the questions I get a lot and artists get a lot is how do you know when it's finished? And, um, that, the answer for me is not really describable in terms of a formula or checking the boxes. It's more of a feeling. And I think many artists have that, that, you know, you, you keep going, keep pushing it. And then there's a voice inside that says, you know, you can stop now. So. This piece behind me, the little John Island piece, um, where your sister apparently walks her dogs and because your sister now lives in Maine, has been living in Maine for quite some time, the the pe- the part of it that is striking to me is the light and the light that's coming through the trees. And it's really, it, it is a feeling more than anything when I see this. Um, and it's a similar feeling to something I've had as I've walked my own dogs in the Little John Island Preserve. Was that what you were attempting to capture? I think so. I think, you know, when you think of a, a, a light, coming in the in the morning um or in the afternoon which is streaming in you're interacting with it in a way it's you're having this subconscious dialogue with earth you know that they're opening that's pouring this goodness towards you and you're accepting it or not you know whatever and so i find that light is you know has so many characteristics like that and um the piece behind me has some interesting sense of lights even though the the building colors are abstracted and kind of funky there is a sense of light coming from one direction and interacting with the shapes and the forms and i find that in in nature and oftentimes i will if there's not enough of that i'll add some in like it's it it's somewhat up to my imagination. So the piece behind you with little John, some of it was based on light coming from a certain direction, but in some cases I exaggerated it. Other cases I muted it and made it sort of stylized. So it is, I mean, you picked up on a theme that kind of I see over and over again emerging in my work, which is the sense of light and where that, you know, how that uh, defines the painting. Is there also an idea that light creates contrast? Um, in looking at the piece behind you, there it's a very kind of geometric piece with the rooftops and the squares and the shapes, but then the light, it, it softens it somehow? It creates contrast and also it creates a sense of place and a perspective and a, and a place for your eye to go. I mean, I think that as much as we want to interpret a piece of art in any way that it hits us, I think that for many of us, our eye wants to be told where to go. Like you go here first and then you go down. I mean, everyone's going to experience it differently, but they, I like to have a little bit of a, a roadmap in the art that I enjoy. And you know, with a Rothko, it's more subtle because there's large areas of color that are 
kind of similar in value. So your eye might have to work a little differently to move around the page, but even with his work, your eye sort of has a journey going through. So, and, and that's not the case for all of the art, but I think especially when you bring up light, I think that that is a, um, it's a tool for artists to tell the viewer where their focus is or, you know, where the artist's point of view is, so. Tell me about this piece that's um, smaller behind me, the Sonoma Road piece. So uh, this is a, from a, a park, um, Jack London State Park, in, um, and it's called Jack's Way, um, and that's in Sonoma. And this came from one of the many hikes that I've taken with my wife. So my wife grew up here in Marin around this beautiful nature. I grew up in Washington, D.C., um, in D.C., near the National Cathedral. And although it was not super urban, it was much more urban than out here with all these trees and such. And my, I never went hiking growing up. I mean, that was not part of the agenda. Fortunately, you know, we have all these wonderful museums in D.C., so that was our, kind of our family activity. Um, and not that I had an aversion to hiking, but when when I got married, that was kind of part of the contract is that we're going to be doing a lot of hiking. So that's that was understood. And it turns out and, you know, my wife will tell you that, you know, a lot of my uh, really successful paintings have been out and about with her. Um, so I give her a lot of credit. And so this is one of them. Um, we were went up to Sonoma for lunch and instead of driving right back, we, we were invariably going to go find a state park or something and go for a hike. So that's where that originated. That actually makes a lot of sense to me because when I think about uh, some of the pieces that I love the most, it they're pieces that remind me of a place that I've been with someone that I care about. So there is an emotional connection to that to that piece. And then there's an emotion that's associated with my looking at the art. So it's an interaction with the art. It creates something that's more than just a two-dimensional viewing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it tells part of the story of my life. I mean, I'm not, I am not a nature guru by any respect, but I, I, I appreciate uh, all of the beautiful open space we have around. And, um, and so part of the story of my life of the last 30 years has been out in nature when, whether it's at Little John or uh, in a park out here or in Sausalito by the boats or, you know, so um, that, that's very personal to me. Art is also something that um, has been kind of running through your veins. It was almost, you were almost genetically predisposed to um to being artistic, I believe. You have some pretty impressive um, art uh, family members, art-oriented family members. Lineage. Lineage, yes. that's the word I was looking for, exactly. I um, I, I didn't uh, clear this before the interview, but I have a little painting of my great-grandfather's. Would it be okay to show that? Okay. So this, um, hopefully there's not too much... Um, reflection but can you see that that's venice oh it's gorgeous it's very beautiful yes 
So he also had a appreciation for light. He was uh, he was painting at the turn of the century in in uh, he he's from actually Washington, Connecticut, but um, he would go to Venice and Paris and for bring his family for months and do these sketches like the what I showed you is is what he called a sketch painting on wood and then he would come back to Connecticut and get uh, commissions to do larger sort of salon paintings from these these paintings and uh, um, of course I never met him because he died way before I was born but um, he you know he was a professional artist and um, I often think about you know what it would be like to meet him and then um, my grandfather his son was an architect and then my father was an architect and my uncle was an architect so we have my brother's an architect so we have a lot of architects um, that sprang from this artist uh, so yeah that's that's kind of part of my story too and and then I was dragged to a lot of museums as I said you know as, as a kid when hiking was not you know not the go-to for my family but museums were definitely up there so you went to Trinity College as, as your education, but you didn't start out in art, correct? Right. Well, I was uh, well. I was initially an English major, um, and then I switched to psychology, and, um, and I took a a, a personality. Uh, it was a um, it was a statistics class called personality for psych majors and I couldn't it wasn't I knew it wasn't right for me so I quit the class but they continued to have my have me as a listed as a student in the class so I failed the class so my mother never let me forget that I failed personality um, in college then I discovered art <laughs> and um and uh, I had, I actually had been spending a lot of time in the art room all, since I started college, but I, it just, you know, it kind of goes back to your original question, you know, how did you end up, you know, going from graphic design to art and, um, you know, rightly so your parents and society encourage you, discourage you a little bit from going right into the arts because it's a hard life, um, especially when you're young. And um, so I, you know, when I started college, I wanted to do a real major, you know, art or psychology, psychology that were things that were interesting to me. But um, but I was in the art room all the time. So I figured I, I might as well get credit for this. So I settled on fine art about halfway through uh, uh, Trinity. And I had a great uh, professor, uh, George Chapman, who was, he was a student of Joseph Albers, the great colorist. And so he really kind of knocked color into me for uh, my time at Trinity. And, and I, you know, he was a really hard teacher. Um, actually, uh, one of uh, Portland Art Gallery's other artists, Paige Eastburn, was in my class at Trinity and had the same teacher. So um, interestingly enough, we're both students of uh, this very strict but good uh, art teacher, Trinity. And she also uses a lot of really vibrant colors in her art. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love her work. It's really fun. 
And, and she also has used her art in a very practical way prior to, um, I mean, I believe she's done illustrations. And uh, so both of you have that kind of similarity that, that somehow there was this need to do something very practical before you kind of broke free and said, okay, now, now it's my time. Right. And so, yeah, we both kind of been dabbling in illustration. I was doing, while I was doing graphic design, I was also uh, doing illustration for the New York Times and Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. And um, at, a, at one time, it was about 50% of my workload was illustration. And then when stock illustration came on the scene and the recession happened and uh, illustration wasn't paying as well, so it just didn't make sense. But it, it is good training for for artists, I think, to have an assignment every once in a while to bring some focus to what you're doing. So that's that Bumblebee mug was just kind of like an assi assignment for me, which was kind of fun to, you know, problem solving. It's a it's a funny thing that you're describing because I funny and in, in, in kind of a in a larger sense, because I think a lot of people who, whether they're writers or whether they're painters or they're, they're photographers, they end up basically creating lives out of doing, bringing other people's ideas to um, fruition. So if you're a graphic designer, you're given somebody else's stuff to work on and it's your job to make it real. But I, I wonder if in doing that, Sometimes it can be really helpful because it's good practice. But other times, do you do you think to yourself, okay, when is my own idea going to become real? When do I get to work on the stuff that that somebody else is not paying me for, at least not right this moment? Well, it's a really good question. In fact, I just heard a podcast by uh, two artists who are talking about, you know, do you get caught up in making art that will make people happy or, you know, that you're, you kind of have your audience in mind. And I think that, um, there are definitely times where that enters into, it, especially with my graphic design background, where I'm always, you know, thinking, you know, how can we make this work? So the client, you know, is happy and whatever. So, um, and so sometimes I will see a sketch or a photo and I'll think that, will be great like somebody somebody would want that versus you know i'm i'm working on um a painting of figures in a gallery uh right now and and figurative work is not really part of my go-to although i have one figurative piece in in the show in portland now uh which i'm very proud of but you know that took uh, a lot of struggling because i'm do, using abstraction i'm doing the figure but I'm not thinking, oh, someone's going to want this painting of these hikers, which is the one in, in Portland, or the one I'm working on now, people in the gallery, because um, we've had several open studios where I've talked to people about my work and what they're looking for. And uh, paintings with f figures in them can be so personal um, that it's not going to attract as broad an audience as a very simple landscape, which can be interpreted in many ways. So to answer your question, yes, I, I, I kind of go back and forth. I don't think there's anything wrong with um, making work that you think people will like, but I think that uh, uh, 
one of the ingredients of a good artist is to be able to get in touch with personal work, whether it sells or not, but, you know, just to, to explore, explore, explore. Well, isn't that similar to uh, essentially having conversational skills? So you have the types of conversational skills where you go to a party and you listen to what somebody else has to say. And part of what you need to do as an individual is to also show up and have something to say yourself that, that they will then kind of bounce back at you. And I, and I think art done really well is that sort of conversation. So it's not that you're kind of creating in a void, but it's more like you're saying, okay, here's my part of the conversation. Let's see what somebody else has to say back. Yeah. And I think that I'm attracted to art that is, is doing that too, is they have something to say, you know, that's personal to them. That's not something that I would have maybe imagined before, you know, and so it's nice to make connections with, with artwork in that way where you see something and you have a personal connection with the artist through their art without ever having met them. For people who um, may not have a chance to meet you as readily as some of the other Portland art gallery artists, because you do happen to live on the West Coast, um, what would you say is an important um, aspect of, of who you are beyond your, yourself as an artist? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, um, I think that it's important for people to know that I have this family connection that goes way back to art and that, you know, I have something to say in terms of putting a part of myself into the interpretation of landscape or interiors. Um, but if you are looking for a really deep meaning in my work, I'm probably not, <laughs> I'm not your artist, you know, that I, I, my art is really about connecting my experience, you know, in a, in a visual way with, the viewer, but, um, and I do love art that has a lot of, uh, deep, uh, meaning and undertones. And, um, and I think you can tell from looking at my work that, that it's, it doesn't have, um, a lot of metaphor and so forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't feel like I answered your question well, but, um, it's interesting that you would describe your art as not being metaphorical or deep, but maybe other people would look at it and find some metaphor in it. Which is, you know, which is great because I think, you know, I'm also a big music fan and I know that um, I also listen to a, a podcast called Song Exploder where artists take apart their songs and talk about how they create them. And one artist, uh, uh, musician whose work I, I really love said, you know, if I knew what my song meant when I uh, put it out to the public, then I would be doing people a disservice because I don't really even figure out what my song meant till about a two, two years after it's released. <laughs> and um, so I think that um, 
maybe I should rephrase that and say it doesn't have, not that it doesn't have deep meaning. It's just that I'm not consciously putting out a, um, a script for someone to interpret my work, but I, I like to, it, I like it to be very interpretive and, um, my, uh, that, uh, work behind you of little John also looks like, uh, a view that you might find in the great lakes of Minnesota or in Lake Tahoe and people, it's really nice for me when people connect to that work and, you know, even though it's not the exact place, but it's the feeling that they get from being in that place. And sometimes that um, allowing other people to exist with your art is even more powerful than being prescriptive about how you want other people to experience your art, because that that's a gift that you're giving them. Yeah, it, it's, you know, so as I said, we have, um, we have two, uh, pre-COVID, we've had two large open studios a year in our building. And uh, as I said, we have, you know, 50 plus artists. And so it's quite a cattle call of people th uh, roaming through your studio. And so it can be overwhelming for artists at time, but, um, what is really interesting is the reaction that, that uh, people will say the most wonderful things about your work and think, think of things about it that you would never have thought. So it's almost like they're teaching you something about yourself. Um, so um, I like getting my work out there because it's really interesting to see what, what people have to say. Andrew, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and um, I, I feel like you've allowed me to go back and reclaim a little piece of myself that continues to exist out on the West Coast, where I um, went, as I told you, to, to learn acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine many years ago. Um, I hope that people take the time to get to know your work online, to get take the time to get to know you, possibly from a distance, um, maybe even go to California and visit you. Certainly to see the... That would be nice. Absolutely. Certainly to see the opening, which is available both um, in person at the Portland Art Gallery and also is available virtually. This is the sixth episode of Radio Maine. And um, every time I have a chance to talk to somebody who is engaging in creative pursuits like you, Andrew Faulkner, I feel very privileged and I'm... I'm I'm so glad you were able to join me today um, on our podcast and also videocast. Well, that's nice of you to say. It's been it's been nice to chat with you, and thank you for promoting artist work. It's it's really nice. I've I've watched all of the episodes so far, and it's really interesting for me to get to know the artists through your questions. Obviously, you have a great appreciation for art.